Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Boys in Red and White podcast. My name is Tom Dow and I'm joined as always by my best friend Andre Grayson. Hello Mr Dow. And today we are continuing our look at squad numbers uh, due to the popular demand for more episodes on the back of our 1 to 11 podcast. So today we're going to be looking at all the other squad numbers from 12 onwards. Uh, we haven't really decided how high we're going to go, but we could feasibly go up to number 77, which is Bukayo Saka. Uh, but that does not seem likely. Nevertheless, we're going to start with number 12 today. So in order of players who have played for the club in the Emirates era... Uh, we've had Carlos Vela as number 12, then Thierry Henry joined fleetingly on loan from New York Red Bulls and took the number 12, and then he was followed by Olivier Giroud and finally Stefan Lichsteiner. So four absolutely incredible players there. Andre, kick us off. Okay, well I'm going to have to, much like the last podcast, I'm going to have to remove Thierry Henry from the twelve. We've talked about his special moment previously in, in uh, due to the commentary quiz, but he was number 14 when we joined, and I think he has to be considered under that number. Do you, do you agree? I do agree, and I, I, I think it would be probably a disservice to him and to everyone else on that list if you would include him, because just by default of who he was and who he is and the history that he's got with the club, I think... <laughs> I would be inclined just to put him at number one for number 12 and for number 14, just because it's Thierry Henry. Yes. So I think removing him from that list is the sensible option. Yes, yes. And we discussed um, Mr. Chips, Carlos Vela, uh, when we <laughs> had, uh, had uh, <laughs> a nice little catchphrase reference for a niche a niche reference there. Just, just say what you see. <laughs> Right! Um, <laughs> so, Carlos Vela, uh, again, we've, we discussed him on uh, a previous episode uh, as number 11. So, we are looking at Olivier Giroud, the recently retired Stefan Lichsteiner. Um, I think we just need to talk about Giroud, really. I think more than anything, it's kind of pretty hard to, to rate a lot of this because there's only one winner, really, if we're counting Giroud v Licksteiner. Um I always felt Giroud was an excellent player for Arsenal and people were more annoyed about what he wasn't than what he was. He was an excellent target man. His link-up play was brilliant, as we saw in the FA Cup final. And we saw on countless, countless examples. I thought the biggest problem Olivier Giroud had at Arsenal is there was no one else who came in and took minutes off him. The way we see Nketiah do it now just gives Lacazette a break, comes back refreshed. Giroud did not have that in his whole Arsenal career. And he was maligned for not getting 30 goals a season, when in reality, being a a 20-goal-a-season striker for as long as he was, was very impressive. I loved Giroud. I really, really did. And like you, I felt he got a really, really unfair rap from uh, many sections of of the Arsenal supporters. And as you said, that was ultimately down to what he was not as opposed to what he was. And I think that sort of goes back quite nicely to when we spoke about Meza Ozil and people wanting him to be this industrious 
midfielder that tracks back, who that puts in in challenges, and he was never that. He is and never will be that. And Giroud is never going to be someone who will get you thirty goals a season. But like you said, it's not to be sort of sneered at. Someone that gets you twenty goals a season and probably uh, contributes what ten assists around that sort of number. Mm. So. For a centre forward, like you say, if we did have someone who could come in and give him that respite, like Enketier is doing, then I, I, I think maybe he would have a, a better reputation than he than he does. But ultimately, we usually get to towards the tail end of the season, and because we've been so reliant on him, the goals would dry up and his performances would sort of drop down the level because presumably because he was exhausted. So. I think it's uh, really unfair to give him the, the amount of criticism that he gets. And it annoys me seeing him play for Chelsea because I still look at what he does and think he could do a job for Arsenal. And ultimately, ultimately I was quite disappointed when he when he left because I, th- I, I think as an alternative off the bench or as someone who is a different type of player to Aubameyang or Lacazette, that's something which a lot of clubs are crying out for and we had in our possession. I, I appreciate that to get a, the Aubameyang deal, we had to do that sort of trio of deals so that Chelsea were happy for Batshuari to go to Dortmund and Dortmund were happy for Aubameyang to to uh, to come to us. But I did think it was a bit bizarre that we maybe didn't approach Dortmund about potentially Giroud going there on a temporary deal uh, to try and get the Aubameyang deal over the line because I just I, anything that helps Chelsea out I just I hate. Yeah, I know, I understand what you mean, and it, he still looks exactly like the player he was in the last couple of seasons. Um, actually, I think he he looks like he's marginally improved. At the end of uh, last season, I thought he looked really good. I know we nullified him in the final, but yeah, I always liked Giroud. And I quite liked that we had that physical presence and that, you know, the classic plan B. Um, So, yeah, I I always felt he was overly criticised. But also, I did kind of understand it, if that makes sense. Because we had just gone from uh, Henri, Van Persie to Giroud. You can see why he garnered that frustration. But all in all, an excellent striker, great service to the club. I mean, his legacy will be tarnished, much like all the players that end up at our rivals. I'd imagine in a few years, he'll look back, we'll look back more fondly on his time at the club than, um, than we do now. Um, so I think that's Giroud wrapped up. Licksteiner, well, that was, um, it was a nice idea. It just didn't work. I think that's the the politest I can be about that particular deal. He was one that I was, when we did it, I thought that's a smart piece of business. He's a proven winner. He can come in and be a consistent backup for for, for other players. And I, I didn't see anything wrong with it. Obviously, I think maybe as supporters, we underestimated just how difficult it is to come into the Premier League, particularly when you're his age. Um, and ultimately, he just couldn't he couldn't handle the pace of the Premier League, and you could see that it, it wasn't really going to work from very early on in his Arsenal career. So, uh, as we said, I think uh, that 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 number twelve is kind of a no brainer. It's <laughs> someone who scored over a hundred goals for Arsenal compared to a thirty five year old who has a handful of assists and one goal. <laughs> so, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, that's twelve wrapped up. So Giroud, it's gonna. I think this is going to be an interesting eleven that comes out of uh, all these numbers. We're going to have subs in this one. Sanchez couldn't find him, but he can. And 
the second attempt. Giroud wanted it far post, and that was the shot that found the net. Superb finish by Olivier Giroud. That's more like it for Arsenal. Back in the groove, back on the score sheet. Okay, so moving on to number 13, we have got Alexander Hleb, Wojciech Szczesny, and David Ospina. So it's the battle of the goalkeepers and of our little Belarusian winger. Mm. I think I've got to start this by going, Ospina! Ospina! When that, I first heard that charm away at Tottenham. Uh, in the, I believe it was the two all, uh, where where Coquelin got sent off, and Kane scored that goal from virtually the byline, and everyone blamed Ospina's short arms. That was the first time I heard that chant, and I loved it. And when we equalised <laughs> late on with ten men, um, it was much more pleasurable to continue doing that chant with every goal kick. Um, David Ospina was the strangest goalkeeper of all time, capable of standing behind his line. When I went to, we when we had PSG in the group stage away, he produced an outstanding performance. Um, but that's kind of all he really did. He was just bizarre. He seemed too small. His play acting. <laughs> I've never seen a goalie go down. He went down every game. A bit like Giroud, actually. Giroud would go down once a game. So would Ospina. He just drove you mad. What a weird, weird signing. Um, how he stayed at the club as long as he did, I just I just don't know. And he, he stayed at the club and made a lot of appearances as well. Like I know during his time at the club was very much when Arsene would try to uh, give the reserve goalkeeper the European games. And he would, without fail, turn to... David Ospina, and I found it bizarre. I, I mean, I don't know how a goalkeeper can play at the high level he's played at, who is consistently standing behind his own goal line. It's it's baffling that he was able to forge a career from doing that, which I suppose is testament to his shot stopping abilities. <laughs> but um, no, a, a very 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 strange one. Mm. Uh, I, I think I think we covered Chesney fairly extensively in the last podcast, mm. um, where we we commented that his antics off the pitch were probably what we ended up liking him more for, as opposed to his actual performances for Arsenal. So I don't feel the need to look at that. But one player who I think divides opinion is Alexander Kleb, and he was a player who. As much as he was frustrating, I really, really enjoyed him as a footballer. And that was largely because he was so capable of running with the ball. And he linked so well with Cesc Fabregas, Matthew Flamini and Thomas Rosicki in that midfield in 07-08. That it was just really exciting having such direct play. And he didn't really produce enough in the final third that a player of his talent really deserved. But I still just, I loved the way that he helped to link different moves together. I remember when we beat Slavia Prague 7-0 at home in the Champions League and he, he was instrumental to pretty much everything Arsenal did that night. And OK, you can question the opposition, but I felt that performance kind of summarised him as a player because everything about him was get the ball, I want to go forward 
at the first opportunity. And I remember there was another time when we played Manchester United away. It was one of those performances which, um, again, there's a compilation of on YouTube, which I'll, I'll, I'll put onto our onto our Facebook page. But everything about what Alexander Hlev did was driving forward. Mm. So, yeah, he's a player that a lot of people weren't a fan of. But for, for me, I, re- I just really, really enjoyed him as a footballer. And I, I, I can't really explain why beyond the fact that he wanted to play positive, attractive football. The reason he divides opinion, I suppose, how am I trying to word this? I guess it's because he's a great footballer, but he didn't necessarily produce the results in terms of goals and assists, but he was really important for the team. And that's where I always think stats, you know, lies, lies and damn statistics, because he was a great footballer. He was really important, but there probably wasn't much data that supported that he was so helpful for that team. That team worked really well. He was the classic oil in the engine, to use a, a Wengerism. Uh, I agree with you. I really liked him. It was the close control. He never lost it. You know, that's what... When we discussed um, Sanchez last time, he was the absolute opposite because he just did not lose the ball. He was so safe and secure in possession. And that was so important for the way we played, uh, particularly in that season. And it was a real shame he left in the way he did. I mean, he's talked so often about how it was a huge mistake. Um, so, you know, silly boy, but yeah, good player. I mean, I guess he has to win this one as well, doesn't he, really? I, I think so. But just to sort of touch on the, the topic that you said about the, the data not really supporting what a good player he was... And the, the 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 single example that I think of when I, I think of something to try and justify him was in 05-06 when we played Juventus at home in the Champions League. It was Hleb's pass into Fabregas, who then cut it back for Henri to have a tap-in that basically made that goal. And I, I think that I'm, I'm a massive fan of the, the pre-assist. The pre-assist. I love the pre-assist. And I, I think Hleb was, was very underrated in that regard. Um I'd be interested to see sort of how many pre-assists that he he contributed, but unfortunately we don't have that data to hand at the Boys in Red and White podcast. <laughs> but, uh, One day, but uh, I, th- I think that single example is a, is a really really telling contribution that he would consistently offer that Arsenal team. Absolutely, absolutely, and he 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 gets the vote here, doesn't he? He's in. He does get the vote here, and so I think we're fairly happy with Leb at number one. I'm putting Chesney at number two and David Ospina as number three, our favourite goalkeeper. Sanya forcing his way forward. Advantage played by the referee. Flag stays down. Could be a great chance. Cleb. Yes! Listen to the roar. Moving on, we have number 14. Now, what a great shirt this has been for Arsenal over the years. And the three that we've got to choose from I, it's one of those lists where there's three players who I, I'm a big fan of all the players. I think the order probably picks itself, but mm-hmm. we'll, we'll find out. So we've got number 14, Thierry Henry, Theo Walcott and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who obviously is our current number 14. I'll kick us off with this one. And there's no place to start other than to speak about Thierry Henry. Now, when we're doing this, and obviously we consider the Emirates era, Omri was very much at the beginning of the Emirates era. He he was the man who stayed and oversaw that after the Champions League final, where we lost to Barcelona. And for that season, he had kind of an injury hit year, and you kind of could tell that 
he maybe didn't really want to be there. And I think when he did leave, as, as sad as it was for Arsenal supporters, when he did leave, it was the right time probably for all parties because Arsenal were going down a route of using young players to try and create a new generation in, in what was dubbed Project Youth. And Omri maybe was holding back a few of those players. If we look at like Robin Van Persie, Emmanuel Adebayor, Cesc Fabregas certainly at that time as well. And it was probably time for him for him to move on. Having said that, I was absolutely devastated when he did. And even going back and watching that interview that he did when when he announced that he was leaving, and you could see he was basically shaking. I think that kind of represented the feeling that all Arsenal fans had towards him at the time because we were all devastated that he was going. And at the time, it was very difficult to see that as as anything remotely close to a positive. But Everything about Thierry Henry and what he did at Arsenal was just incredible. And I know that this was when he had the number 12 shirt, but going back to when he returned to the Emirates on loan from New York Red Bulls, he was not necessarily the same player, but that night when he scored on his return against Leeds is still one of the the best moments I've ever had in a football stadium because it was just an outpouring of joy and relief and ecstasy that he was back. And I love his interview after where he said that before he scored goals playing for Arsenal, now he scored a goal as an Arsenal supporter and described it as probably the best feeling he's ever had in his professional life. And bear in mind what he's achieved in football. Uh, The fact that he is now an Arsenal supporter just shows how special our club is. And it's so brilliant that a player of that stature could understand just how important our club is and how how special it is in comparison to other, other football clubs. That was uh, an epic monologue about the greatest player of all time. I know, I'm welling up. I can imagine, I can imagine. Uh, He, I don't think, will ever see or have a player that good again, for as long as we did as well. I can imagine us having someone who makes us feel, you know, or is on a par talent-wise. I hope, anyway, that would be amazing. I mean, we probably won't, actually, in our lifetime. He's my all-time hero. Growing up, all I wanted to do was be like Thierry Henry. He was... He's just everything, isn't he? He's just a legend. He's everything that matters. He was everything about the club. He's everything that embodied what Wenger wanted to do. He's just... Oh, what a man. What a player. He's, he's, he's just a hero, isn't he? He's so many Arsenal fans' hero. He is. And, and what, what I love, and I think... Kids growing up supporting Arsenal these days are so lucky that all of this history and all these great players, everything they did is documented on video. So all they have to do is go onto YouTube and they can find all of Thierry Henry's goals. They can watch them all. So it doesn't matter whether they were around during the generation. They will be able to go back and watch. And I'd be... I I think you're failing your kids as as an Arsenal supporting family if you're not showing them clips of players like Thierry Henry and Dennis Bergkamp because that is just such a huge part of Arsenal history. Now I think obviously when we grew up we're we're unfortunate in a way that there's so many great moments in Arsenal's history prior to our our lives that the the video and information is so limited that you're relying on almost folklore to to find out what happened during those times. And I know that you and I have both done our best to understand the history of Arsenal as best as we can 
uh, bear in mind we weren't around during that era but kids these days can just find everything and particularly when you look at Thierry Henry everything you could want to find whether it's skills whether it's assists whether it's goals it's all available for everyone to watch and I find myself going back and watching Henry's goals far far too frequently <laughs> yeah well there was just so many brilliant moments I mean it's even ones like his winner against Villa uh, when we've turned it round from 2-0 down. It was just, he was always, he always scored the goals that mattered. For me, one of my earliest away days was Real Madrid away and him scoring that goal was just mind-blowing. Um, we can go on forever about Thierry. He's just the greatest. He always will be the greatest. I really hope he cut. He, he makes the cut as a manager and doesn't focus on, you know, whether a chair is pushed in or not. Um, because I just I would adore him to come back in some capacity because we are his club and he is he he's been everything to us growing up as well. Yeah, and I remember when he took over as Monaco manager, me and you were having a very serious conversation, particularly when Cesc Fabregas signed for them, that we were planning uh, a little a little weekend away so that we could go and see Thierry Henry's Monaco with Cesc Fabregas playing that team. And it was so, so disappointing when he lost that job because that would have been a, an incredible trip. Yeah, I wish it worked. I wish it worked. Well, now, am I going to have to back up a conversation about Thierry Henry, about Theo Walcott? Because You are indeed. So right. take it away, Andre. Well, well, I actually think the fact that has to happen is half Theo Walcott's problem, to be honest, because he was... How do you describe Theo Walcott? Again, much like Giroud, much maligned for the things he wasn't rather than focusing on what he was. He scored an awful lot of goals for Arsenal. He scored a lot of important goals. What always amazed me about Theo is absolutely nothing phased him. Um, Whether he missed from a yard or scored a belter, he sort of reacted pretty similarly. Uh, And I thought that was a great testament to his character. I actually think when he was starting to hit something like the player we all thought he might eventually develop into, I think he was robbed. He got that cruciate injury in the 2-0 against Tottenham. He played up front and ran them ragged that day. And that was the first time you saw what he might be able to do. And I don't think he truly came back on the scene in anything like the same way uh, interesting. Uh, I was listening to the Tuesday Club and they literally said this about Theo Walcott only on this episode, which was well, the player that played in his first season was also the player that played in the last season. He basically stayed the same. The things that were good about him, electric pace and a really good finisher, nothing really changed. He had that throughout. And if we could get in behind, he was great. If we couldn't, he wasn't so great. Um sort of the end. <laughs> the Tuesday Club also coined the phrase, unlucky Theo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but I think we were sold a dream with Theo. His brace away at Birmingham in that, that fateful 2 all. Uh, his run against Liverpool in that Champions League quarter-final uh, where he sets up Adebayor. Oh, his goal against Chelsea in the cup final. There were so many moments with Theo, especially early on, where you thought, what have we got here? But it just never quite materialised like that. I think a big problem for Theo Walcott, the fact he was English meant that he had so much additional pressure on him. And I really do think if he'd come to Arsenal as a foreign player and had the career that he had at Arsenal, I don't think there'd be all this conversation about 
oh, did he achieve what he could have achieved? Personally, I think Theo Walcott probably achieved what he could as a player um, during his time at Arsenal. I'm not sure he was ever ever, ever going to be good enough. He, he certainly wasn't going to be good enough to be the next Thierry Henry, like, like so many people touted him. And he was unfortunate that the connections were he was an attacking player and he was quick. So people automatically assumed he was going to be the next Thierry Henry. And as soon as he took Thierry's number, I think that kind of caused uh, inevitable comparisons for the rest of his Arsenal career. And again, he was maligned for the things that he couldn't do as opposed to things that he did do. Mm. And he never had that consistency like so many players that don't quite make that leap to the pinnacle of football. And that consistency is what separates the okay players from the terrific players like Thierry Henry. And people forget that Walcott was a tremendous servant for Arsenal. As much as he was frustrating at times, he was still a fantastic servant for the club, scored over 100 goals for the club. And I don't, I, I've, I've got nothing but praise for Theo Walcott. Every time he, that he could, when he has come back for Everton, um, I'm so happy just to acknowledge him as an Arsenal supporter. And I know you can tell that Walcott has this connection with the Arsenal fans and understands what it is to be an Arsenal, Arsenal player and an Arsenal man. Absolutely, absolutely. Did you hear his podcast on, well, did you hear that Peter Crouch podcast where he was a guest? Uh, no, I didn't. Was it good? It was really good. But what was really interesting is he talked about what it was like being called up to the England squad at 16 and the view or the prism of which he was viewed um, in the media and by fans having been called up at 16 and just how that sort of followed him round for the rest of his life. Because it's easy to forget he then didn't go to the next World Cup and then he was injured for the next one. Uh, and he's never really burst onto the scene with England in the way he could have done. And I think one of the worst things that ever happened to him in his career was getting called up at 16. Um, I think that sort of blew out of all proportion what he was set to achieve. But yeah, great servant, gave us many great moments as well. He scored a lot of great goals. He loved scoring against Tottenham as well. So uh, big fan of Theo. Um, and I'll, I'll start on PEA14. I was going to um, say, I think it's only fair considering you've had to follow Thierry Henry with Theo Walcott. So, uh, absolutely uh, <laughs> fair that you get to start Pierre Henry Cabanian so when well, you're ready. Well, uh, hopefully, at time of recording, he hasn't signed the contract yet. So, he could be a traitor bastard by the time this goes out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm going to proceed with caution. Proceed with caution. No, I think. Um, well, we wax lyrical about him after the cup final and everything he bought. Um, I think the thing that blows my mind, because I don't think we need to spend too long on a current player, because uh, I always think it's slightly different. It doesn't quite have the nostalgia element. He has scored uh, at an unbelievable rate in the worst side in 30 years. And that, to me, tells you what a special player we have. He has. He's barely had... He, he can barely miss a single chance. He's basically not allowed to. He's had to score every chance he's got near enough. He's still been guilty of some shockers. But that's what happens when you are an elite finisher and an elite, you have elite movement in the final third. Um, it's what gives me great hope he can continue scoring at the rate he has into the age he has. I think he's also much more of a leader than we think he is. 
I know sort of he might not be the most vocal, but he's clearly inspirational um, in the way Thierry was, in fairness. Um, great striker. So proud we've got him, to be honest. Unbelievable striker, unbelievable finisher. And the telling factor is the fact that he scored so many goals in this Arsenal side. And, and it does make you think if he was playing in an Arsenal side of previous years that was performing at such a higher level, how many more goals would he would he have got for Arsenal? Because it's, it's frightening, the statistics already. Um, so if you were to chuck him into a side that actually created chances for him, then <laughs> you're looking at a whole host of additional goals I'd imagine but mm. I think you summarised him really well and like, like you said it's very difficult to talk about current players in these lists because it's an unre- it's an unfinished story and hopefully um, hopefully when this podcast goes out he will have agreed a new deal and we can look forward to more years of Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang Absolutely, so it's Omri 1 Aubameyang 2, Walcott 3 Yeah, that's what I would uh, agree with and I think that was a really fantastic one to talk about because it's three players that we are really, really fond of. It's three players who have contributed a lot to Arsenal's history and and a lot of goals to Arsenal's history. Uh, something similar here. Ebue. What a finish at the Emirates. Absolutely unbelievable. Next up, we have number 15. And this is, I think this is going to be quite a fun one to discuss because the three players we've got are Danielson, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain and Ainsley Maitland-Niles. Can I just quickly do something? Can I just quickly do yes. something before we... Daniel! Sir! <laughs> <laughs> Over to you. I I I, re- I was thinking about this the other day. Actually, I really miss it at the Emirates when they did that. I don't <laughs> do, know why. Do you? <laughs> I do. I do. I I want to hear number eighteen, Sebastian. <laughs> <laughs> Squillachi. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I I want to hear more of that. So if any if anyone from uh, Arsenal Football Club is listening, uh, I'm sure I'm sure they are. Paul Burrell. Yeah. Can we, can we all get also bring back the wonder of you? Okay. I guess you'll never know <laughs> the reason why. You realise that's on tape. I do. Okay. I do. Well, well, please kick us off with number fifteen. Okay. So when we moved to the Emirates, uh, we had Denielson as our number fifteen, and he was a frustrating player. He really was because he burst onto the scene and showed the promise of a really, really exceptional player. And I, I, I think quite similar to Thea Walcott, what you said about the Tuesday club, is that the player that we signed ultimately was the player that he was during his last campaign at the club. I don't really think he progressed at the rate that we thought he would. I actually thought that he was obviously often criticised for the fact that he passed the ball sideways and was very safe with his passing um, and didn't commit to trying to play on the front foot so much. But quite often when you look at some of the fantastic goals we've scored in in, in years gone by, uh, quite often it was him moving the ball quickly at the base of a midfield that kind of started those attacks. And 
ultimately, everyone wants a player to be able to do everything. But I think Danielson had his limitations and I think he was maybe a bit too aware of his limitations and a bit reluctant to take any chances. And ultimately, that's probably why it didn't quite work out for him and, and ultimately why his career is sort of derailed to the point that it has. I think he, he just signed for a club in Malta. So he's, his career is really, really plummeted and he's only 31 or 32. Mm. So a really, really frustrating player. Uh, I remember I was I went to the League Cup one year when we beat Newcastle 2-0 at home and Diaby set him up for his first goal for the club in 06-07. And it was a fantastic strike and straight away we thought, oh, a Brazilian, we've got we've got a great player on our hands here. And it just it just never quite kicked on from there. No, no. Well, he was, you've sort of summarised him brilliantly. I mean, he did have a terrible back injury. That seems to be the reason his career's gone the way it has. Uh, it was recently on this day, and we beat Everton 6-1 at Goodison Park, first day of the season, and he absolutely whipped one into the top corner to put us 1-0 up. Um, you're right, he was frustrating. He, he could have been so much more, but again, you wonder in that era whether he was a player that was particularly mismanaged. He came in as a number 10, and we tried to turn him into sort of a, you know, the little shavvy. Um, so, yeah, you know, agreed on, on all analysis. Um I mean, next is the Ox. Um, and again, if we're talking injury for Danielson and like so many players in this era, we never saw the best of Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain at Arsenal. Um, no, I, I think if we're using the word frustration, I think that is a word that we can transfer straight over to Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. Yeah, I mean, <sighs> he just drove you mad. Was he a great right winger? Could he have been a great centre midfielder? Was he a good wing back? I think what's interesting is he's shown glimpses at Liverpool of what we thought we might have, but he still keeps breaking down with injuries. Uh, very Jack Wilshire-esque in that regard, isn't he? He is, and I don't really... I, he's had some great games for Liverpool and some great moments, but I've not seen an awful lot of him to make me think that he is much different to the player that we sold. He still has that inconsistency where he'll play maybe two or three good games in a row and then he'll maybe have three or four where he kind of goes missing. And I think the fact he's playing in a far better team kind of masks that. The thing is, he has all the attributes you would want as a footballer. He's strong. I'm talking when he's fit. Strong. He's so quick. He's got great technique. He's got a wonderful shot. Uh, He's quite industrious as well. I don't think you could ever knock him for working hard apart from his last game for Arsenal, where he was a bit of a disgrace. Um, I thought he was a brilliant right wing-back when we utilised him against Chelsea in the Cup and against Man City as well. I thought he was he. I thought he was excellent. I, I still remember um, when we beat uh, Chelsea in the Charity Shield, uh, probably 2014, and he rifled one in with his left foot in a, a 1-0 win where Mourinho did that weird thing where he waited for everyone after we won. Tosser. Um, and When Arson just walked straight past him. Yeah, that was fantastic shade thrown. <laughs> uh, but I remember, I remember speaking to you and going, this is going to be his season. And I think there were so many times we thought that. I remember a, a brace against Palace from midfield and you thought you saw something emerging, but never quite happened for, for the Ox, really. Yeah, very frustrating. Um, and I think that, again, moves us on to Ainsley Maitland-Niles. And he's another player who I would associate with the word frustrating because he has 
everything in his locker to be a really, really exceptional footballer. He's quick, he's good on the ball, uh, he's powerful, but it just doesn't come together consistently enough. And I think when you see how he performed in the cup final and in the semi-final, you see what a player we could have on our hands. And if he can maintain that sort of level, that level of concentration that he was able to do in those two games against that calibre of opposition, then he's got everything about him to be able to be a really, really, really good fullback or a wingback. So it's frustrating because I don't really know what the future holds for him. And I know he's been linked with every Premier League club under the sun at the moment. But I'd be really, really disappointed if we did lose him because he looks like everything you'd want in a, in a modern fullback in the game that we currently currently have at the moment. And even when I look when I compare what he's got going for him with Hector Bellerin, I think there's a case to be made that Maitland-Niles might just have more in the future than than Bellerin does because Bellerin seems to have lost that that extra yard of pace that he maybe once once had. Yeah, I mean. Maitland-Niles is 22. He's got 50-odd appearances for the club. He's, you want players like him in the squad? I really think you do. He's got unbelievable pace. I think it's a really underrated factor that even if he's slightly out of position, he's got that recovery pace. He does drive you mad with his concentration. Uh, there's been so many lapses of just wayward passes that just that are appalling. And he is sort of the inverse of Granite Xhaka in this respect. Xhaka makes 50 passes a game, let's say. One's bad, the opposition score, bloke can't pass. Maitland-Niles has give, gifted <laughs> possession away on several occasions and hasn't really left us punished. And he sort of got away with that. But he's an Arsenal man. He's come through our academy. We want him to be in our squad for many, many years. Uh, I think it's sort of the best way to do it. Strong double-barreled um, vibes coming off this number, actually. Um, but I guess, <laughs> I, I guess, how are you? How are you ranking them? Um, I'm probably going Oxlade Chamberlain one. Yeah, and then I'm, I'm struggling after that. To be <laughs> I don't know if it matters. I think we've got to give it to Denilson because yeah. his legacy's over, and Maitland-Niles has been linked with Tottenham. Um, and for that link alone, even if he hasn't made it, uh, if that happens, he he deserves last. So the fact his agent's letting that happen is all I need to hear. So what we're doing is we're covering ourselves. So if if, if the correct if that did happen, we've put him bottom. So we we we're ahead of the curve. We are just in case we're protecting ourselves. You know, we we have to do that as Arsenal fans with with players going to rivals. <laughs> mastermind things from midfield Oxlade Chamberlain lovely drive and a great finish which catches Murphy out and maybe after Giroud's miss from the penalty spot that's the goal that sends Arsenal into the fourth round of the League Cup okay number 16 we have Matthew Flamini mm. Aaron Ramsey Rob Holding <laughs> so Andre take it away well here's to you Matthew Flamini um, Arson loves you more than you know. <laughs> this has been a very chanty, vociferous <laughs> podcast. Uh, okay, uh, Matthew Flamini. Um, do you know what? Actually, I- I'm going to start with Ramsey at number 16. And when he was breaking through, we talked about him quite a bit in number eight. Um, but I actually, I actually uh, ruptured my ACL uh, when I was 18 
the same season Ramsey broke his leg and I won uh I not won, I didn't even win a competition. I got the opportunity to present a player of the month award to <clears throat> Samir Nasri. Um uh, before one game, and Ibue and Aaron Ramsey were in the tunnel, and I called Aaron Ramsey an inspiration at the way he'd got back from his recovery, and no doubt that spurred him on to become the Arsenal legend we discussed uh, last week. So I-, I know we discussed him at great length. So there's my little anecdote about Mr. Aaron Ramsey. Um, I'm going to hand over to you with Flamini because I think you are a bit of a fan of Matthew Flamini. I am a bit, a bit of a fan of Matthew Flamini. Um... I, when I play football, I'm either a centre back or I'm a holding midfielder. So naturally, whenever a midfielder is a holding midfielder, I am instantly attracted to them as a player. And with Flamini, he was a player that frustrated me during his uh, his early time at the club. There were real flashes of, of excellence, but I think maybe that was the naivety of, of a young player that. He did make those mistakes. Obviously, he had that fantastic run when he played left back and we got to the Champions League final. But it wasn't really until the 06, uh, no, 07-08 season when he was deployed as the partner to Cesc Fabregas and really, really came into his own. Now, it was so frustrating at the end of that season when he then decided to leave the club and go and sign uh, for AC Milan because that just was the first kind of cog that represented that team being dismantled. And had we been able to keep him and had we been able to keep Alexander Hleb and then later Adebayor, then potentially we could have had a team that really, really could and should have won things. So very, very frustrating in that regard. But when he was on form, particularly that season, he was excellent. Unfortunately, I think that standalone season was the only season we really saw that consistency from him. Obviously, when he came back, uh, what year did he sign for us? I can't even remember when he signed. But obviously, he did return to the club. And again, he didn't ever replicate that consistency that he had during during that season. So, I love him, but I just wish we saw more of that player that we saw that season. Yeah, I, I hear you. I hear you. For me, everything I love about Flamini actually is more about his, his return, which was 13-14 and started with the North London derby where he could have got sent off after about 20 seconds after coming off the bench. What a horrific tackle. It was fantastic, <laughs> wasn't it? That was what he was all about. I love it. Sort of players leave and come back and it means more. And then I remember his brace at White Hart Lane in the League Cup was wonderful because it was just so stupid that it was him of all people producing a 20-yard daisy cutter into the bottom corner. (laughs) Those scenes that night were brilliant in the away end and anyone who gives me that, give me that every week. Do you remember that the bloke in front of us in the away end who just after Flamini had scored uh, turned around to me and said, can you take a picture of me? And then pulled out his hip flask (laughs) 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 and just held it up in the air and got me to take a picture. And I was like, what is going on? (laughs) Yes, of course I do. That was amazing. Um, uh, Actually, I've got a similar League Cup White Hart Lane story. We were, I think his name's Darren, a character from EastEnders. You know when we won 4-1 in extra time? Yeah, that was my first experience of White Hart Lane. Uh, missed Lansbury scoring the opening goal, or I, I just got in the ground actually, like one second before we scored, because I got stuck in the police cordon 
Um, that was one of the most electric atmospheres I ever had. But we were next to Darren from EastEnders. And I remember Mark and I picked him up when we scored our fourth goal, shouting Darren from EastEnders, Darren from EastEnders. Darren from EastEnders. He was like, <laughs> all right, lads. All right, lads. Calm it down. Calm it down, lads. Calm it down. <laughs> and, you were, and you were like, all right, all right Darren. Calm down, mate. <laughs> calm down, mate. Calm down, mate. Um, uh, and then, okay. So, uh, 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 Tom, this has taken us longer than it did to get from one to five. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Rob Holding, you know. Um, uh, again, as we've said, really hard because his... You know, if he leaves now, it's been a really sort of... And we got 10 million for him. He said some great performances, excellent in two FA Cup finals. Um, not quite fulfilled what we hoped he would, but £2 million pounds from, from Bolton. I think he's got limitations holding. I, I, I can't see how he stays. I, I can't see him being part of a defence that gets us to the heights we need to be. But I really like Rob Holding, like his character... Um, but he's not really had an Arsenal moment. I mean, I do think what he did to Costa was great fun, um, but there's not sort of been that one performance or that one sort of, you know, winner that really defines holding. Uh, absolutely. Uh, so I think that kind of summarises those three players and it also probably makes the, the order quite obvious. So I'm assuming we're saying Ramsey won. Flamini two, holding three. Yeah, and but that's. Uh, I was looking at our uh, previous eleven, and the the the. I suppose because we're probably going to have more players here, Ramsey might have to miss out because he can't play against himself, as 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 is the rules in this completely hypothetical world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's not. This isn't FIFA, so he can't play on both teams. No, exactly. This is the real world. Oh, they're behind again. It's amazing. It's Aaron Ramsey. That's the response of Arsenal. And Chelsea simply lost their focus in the joy of equalising. It's when you're at your most vulnerable. And Ramsey, totally unmarked, stayed in the header. Arsenal 2, Chelsea 1. I think what we'll do, because this is, as you said, we've taken longer to get from number 12 to number 16 than we did to do numbers 1 to 5. I think we'll end this as uh, part 3 of this special squad number episode. And we'll come back with part 4 where we'll hopefully be a little bit quicker <laughs> in getting through the rest of these players. So thank you as always for listening to the Boys in Red and White podcast. If you'd like to find us on social media, we have a Twitter, Instagram and Facebook page that can be found by searching for The Boys in Red and White. And we also have a website, which is www.theboysinredandwhite.com. So as always, Andre, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for yours. Absolute pleasure. And we'll be back with part four for you very, very soon. 